When we pray, sometimes we use tired phrases, cliches, and worn-out vocabularies. Pastor Trent Griffith offers a solution to this problem. The Bible reforms how we pray, and the Bible informs what we pray. I don't know about you, but when I try to pray without an open Bible, here's what I do. I end up praying the same old thing about the same old thing in the same old language, in the same old phrases, and somehow I always default back to prayers like this. God, would you bless me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you lead, guide, and direct me? And so after five seconds, I don't know how to ask any better than what I just asked, and so it ends up being a really short prayer. And so I'm like, God, just take care of it. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today we're going to hear about how to pray Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. We're in a series called Simply Pray, and today Pastor Trent encourages us to use the Bible as a guide for our prayers. The message you're about to hear was given last October when we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. You'll hear Trent refer to it when he speaks. Here's Pastor Trent. Take your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 4. Last week we began this series entitled Simply Pray, and it's not just a series, it is really an environment, an ethos that I trust is going to change our church, the rhythms of our church, and the rhythms of our own personal lives. I made a confession to you last week that I heard a lot of people echo back to me. It's simply this. When I fail to pray simply, I simply fail to pray. Am I the only one? Lift your hand if you would say, yeah, that's me too. When I fail to pray simply, I what? Say it with me. I simply fail to pray. We've made prayer way too complicated. We think if I can't pray a long prayer, I can't pray a good prayer. If I can't pray a really fancy prayer, I can't pray a good prayer. If I can't pray a prayer that's more impressive than the last one I heard, the pastor pray at church, then that's not going to be good. So we just simply don't pray. And uh, what we're learning is that God invites us to come and talk with Him. He wants to hear the burdens of our heart, but so often we make it way too Complex. It is so appropriate that we're in this series, Simply Pray, while we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I have had my heart filled this week, even to the point of tears through the first part of the service today, just rejoicing that God would, would open our eyes once again to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I've told you many times, I didn't grow up in church. How many of you did not grow up in church? How many of you, this is your first time in church? I don't know. Welcome, welcome. We, it's okay. We know we're a little weird, but we're welcome. So I didn't grow up in church. When I heard the name Martin Luther, I was thinking about a civil rights leader in the 60s. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, let me, let, me, let me fill you in. 500 years ago, there was this guy that that civil rights leader was named after. His name was Martin Luther. And uh, the most significant thing that I could think of that would happen on October the 31st, trick or treat, right? Halloween. I, listen, I do not think it is ironic or coincidental that the day the devil receives the most attention in our country happens to be the day that we as Christians would celebrate the fact that God would reform the church and bring us back to 
the gospel, the only gospel that can save. And I want you to know about this thing. So what happened on October the 31st 1517. You've already heard a brief history of this Augustinian monk named Martin Luther. Well, let me tell you what happened. On October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther made a Facebook post. And so he puts this, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. The Facebook of his day was the church door. So in Wittenberg, Germany, big wooden door. You can kind of imagine it there. People, that's where they went and made their post. Anything they wanted to talk about, any like announcement in the community, birth announcement, whatever, they would go post it on the church door. So Martin Luther, he creates these 95 statements that really were an opportunity. He wanted to have a debate, a dialogue within the church to say, we need to talk about these things because I'm reading my Bible and I'm listening to the, the church and I'm not getting the same message here. And we need to talk about these things. So he makes these 95 statements and he nails them to the church door. By the way, the first one of those was simply this. He said that when Jesus Christ said repent, he meant for all of the Christian life to be a life of repentance. In other words, we're always going to be finding things that are incongruent with God's word, and we're always going to be needing repentance and fresh cleansing and fresh power through the gospel. So that was the first of those 95 theses, and uh, that actually did spark a lot of debate and a lot of dialogue, and it did not make Martin Luther a popular figure. You've already heard the first of those most important doctrines that we celebrate that came out of the great Protestant Reformation is the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, informed by the Scripture alone. What the church had done is elevated the traditions of men and the traditions of church to have equal or maybe even greater authority than the written Word of God. Martin Luther said, I protest. You understand the root word of the word Protestant is protest. It began this Protestant Reformation. And uh, one of the other doctrines that came alive there was the, the authority of the Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture alone in all matters of faith and practice. And so that created this incredible debate. Now, about 30 or 40 years after that, those that did not find Martin Luther to be... Um, a man of integrity, and they, they didn't like what he was saying. They got together in a big council, and over a course of about 18 years, they met annually in different things to, to try to rebuff what Martin Luther was saying about justification by grace alone through faith alone. Unfortunately, it met in a place called Trent, and so it's known as the Council of Trent. Very unfortunate naming of this particular Roman Catholic um, thing. And so one of the things that came out of the Council of Trent was this statement. Anyone who believes in justification by faith alone, let him be anathema. In other words, let him be damned. Let him go to hell. If you believe that justification to be made right with God comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, then the official position of the Roman Catholic Church is you're going to hell. I protest. I protest. And we're protesting today. 
We're protesting that the Scripture teaches otherwise. And when we elevate the truth of Scripture above the opinions of men, sometimes it's going to put us in a position of opposition to false doctrine and false truth. And so how does that relate to prayer? Well, one of the other doctrines that came out of the Reformation was a recovery of what we now call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. And so here's what we believe that the gospel teaches. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our great high priest is Jesus Christ and that once for all he made the sacrifice of himself and God accepted that sacrifice. So now there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one that we go through to talk to God. And he is the only one that we go through for God to speak to us. And so it means we can open our Bibles and hear God speak to us through his word. It's one of the things that the church did 500 years ago is they kept the word of God from the people of God. They refused to translate it into the language of the people. They kept it in the Greek and the Hebrew and the people were speaking German. And they're like, we don't need to give them a Bible in their translation. They might read it. And they might mess it up, as if the church was not going to mess it up. And so one of the first things that Martin Luther did was he translated the Bible into the language of the people, German. Aren't you glad you don't have to? How many of you are grateful you don't have to learn Greek, Hebrew, or German for that matter, to read a Bible? Somebody did the hard work for you and translated the Word of God into a language you can actually read. And so now each one of us can hear a Word of God. We carry copies of this book. Another thing providentially that was happening 500 years ago is that the Internet was being created. I'm serious. You know what that was called? It was called the printing press. And so Martin Luther's 95 Theses went viral. They printed it, and they copied it, and they copied it, and then he translated the, the Word of God into the language of the people, and they printed it, and they printed it, and printed it, so everybody could have access to the Word of God. And now, because we believe in the priesthood of the believer, we don't have to go through any man to have our prayer heard. We don't have to go through any man to have our sin forgiven. We simply have access to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. You don't have to wear a collar or a big hat or swing any kind of ornate symbols. You have direct access to God and you can sit, hear me, you can simply pray. That should have massive implications in your life that whatever you're going through, you can go directly to God and you can open your Bible and hear what God would have to say to you in whatever situation you're going through because the Bible reforms how we pray. We don't have to go through any man. If you did a Google search like I did on Luther on prayer, did Martin Luther write anything on prayer? Here's the first thing that pops up. His most famous well-circulated document that he wrote on prayer was called, get this, A Simple Way to Pray. (laughs) So he was the one that actually did the first series on Simply Pray. 
And what he taught his people is the same thing that I want to teach you here in this message. If you're a person that likes how-to messages, just give me the bullet points, give me some practicals, give me some handles, and it'll help me do it. You're going to love this message. This is what Martin Luther said in relation to a simple way to pray. He says, with practice, one can take the Ten Commandments on one day, a psalm or a chapter of Holy Scripture on the next day, and use them as flint and steel to kindle a flame in the heart. You know what he was saying? Simply pray the Bible. Who knew it could be that easy? God has given me a prayer book and everything God wants to hear me pray, He's already spoken to me. God loves to hear His Word prayed back to Him. You say, I don't even know if that's biblical. Acts chapter 4. Let's see if we can find any authority for what we're talking about here. Let me give you this setting. Peter and John went street preaching one day. They got called into... The church officials, actually the Hebrew officials that didn't like the fact that they were spreading the gospel, a different gospel than, than what they had been spreading, and they told them, you can't preach like that. You can't preach in Jesus' name anymore and stop healing people that are sick. And so he warns them, he threatens them, and, and so they go back to church, and we pick up the story in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. By the way, did you know you find friends at church? We're friends. This is friends. This is, we're all friends. This is where you find your friends. They went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Now, do you understand that these men, that, we know that they were courageous and we know that they were bold, but they went and told their friends, I, I don't know if we should keep doing this. We're, they reported to their friends the burden of their heart. Here's, we're worried. We, are they going to threaten our families? Are they going to take our children? Are they going to put us in jail? Are they going to come and find you? They reported what was on their heart. Did they have some stuff to pray about? Yeah, that like, man, let's call a prayer meeting and let's pray about that. And that's what they did. It says they reported what the chief priest had said and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. They simply prayed. They didn't formulate solutions. They, they didn't get a strategy. They went to the Lord with the burdens of their heart. They simply prayed. And they said, we have a script of their prayer. It's recorded for us in the Bible. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Stop right there. Why is verse 24 there? I thought they were burdened about some terrible condition that they were living under. And yet the first thing they did in prayer was not tell God to fix it. They acknowledged God's right to be God. Sovereign. In other words, everything that happened to us is completely under the control of God. He made heaven and earth for crying out loud. He can take care of the religious fatheads we just dealt with. And so they acknowledged how good and in control and big and sovereign God was. Then... They still don't ask God to do anything. Look at the next thing they did in verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Stop. Pause. Let me give you a little Bible hack here, okay? Let me tell you how to use your Bible. Now, in your Bible, look at your page. 
Are the next few lines indented or bracketed? Are they kind of set apart in some ways? Why? Why? Do you know why? It is quoting something that is already recorded in the Bible. So it's an alert to us that what we're about to read, has we've already found those words in another part of our Bible previously. It's actually Psalm 2, the second chapter of Psalms, verses 1 and 2. But I want you to notice, this is the transcript of the prayer they prayed. Right in the middle of their prayer, they use what they know God has already said as their petition. They use the language of the Bible incorporated in their prayer, and they pray what God has already said to them back to God. Let's read what he said. It says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. End of quotation. But the prayer continues. Verse 27. For truly in this city, in other words, right here, right now, this is not about David. This is not about what he wrote a thousand years ago. God, we want you to know what's happening right here, right now. Notice, there were gathered. Have we seen that word before? Where did we see the word gathered? It's right there in verse 26. They use the vocabulary of Psalm 2 and insert it right into their prayer to God. Gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Anointed. Where do we find that word? We find it right back up in Psalm 2. And so when David wrote this a thousand years ago, he didn't know who the anointed was. But now they're living on the other side of the cross and they know that the anointed one that David wrote about was actually Jesus. So they tell God about how Jesus has been treated and about how uh, they're receiving opposition because they've been speaking in his name. It goes on. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Why did they tell God about Herod and Pontius Pilate? Well, those were the people that were in opposition to Jesus. But they make a correlation between what David wrote in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth and the rulers. They just inserted proper nouns. Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. Again, why did the Gentiles rage? Do you see what they're doing? They are formulating their prayer using the vocabulary of Scripture. They're praying the Bible back to God. And they are taking their burden, their situation, their anxieties, and inserting it into a prayer, or inserting it into Scripture, and translating it into a prayer. Verse 28. To do whatever your hand or your plan had predestined to take place. That's an awesome verse just talking about how even the crucifixion of Jesus was under the control of God. And as horrible as he was treated, God was totally in control. So on the days that you're treated badly, just remember God's got it all under control. If he allowed Jesus to suffer, don't be surprised if you get a little ill treatment in this life. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. Stop right there. Do you see the word grant? We are like six verses into the prayer, and it's the first time they ask God to do anything. They've already acknowledged who God is. They praised Him. 
They've already taken Scripture, and now finally they form their requests based on what they've already learned in Scripture. And so it says, Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. When's the last time that happened in your quiet time? I mean, your prayer was so powerful, it rocked the world. Maybe it's because you're not simply praying the Bible. And when they inserted the Bible into their prayers and they allowed the Bible to reform how they prayed, it rocked the world. The place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God. And he comes and fills them because they were already filled with the word. And they continued to speak the word with boldness. Why did they continue to speak the word with boldness? Because God answered their prayers. Not because they were courageous men, but because they simply prayed and God simply answered their prayer. The Bible reforms how we pray, and the Bible informs what we pray. I don't know about you, but when I try to pray without an open Bible, here's what I do. I end up praying the same old thing about the same old thing in the same old language, in the same old phrases, and somehow I always default back to prayers like this. God, would you bless me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you lead, guide, and direct me? Now, those aren't bad prayers, but why is it that we have to offer God three synonyms for the same thing? Lead, guide, and direct. How many of you have ever heard that trilogy? It's the holy trinity of a prayer. Lead, guide, and direct. Did God, God, if you didn't understand what I meant by lead, then direct me. And if it's not direction, then give me guidance. And that's the extent of my vocabulary. I don't know what else to say. And so after five seconds, I don't know how to ask any better than what I just asked. And so it ends up being a really short prayer. And then this is what I do. I end up like, God, I don't know how to say it any better today than I said it yesterday. Same, same burdens on my heart today as on yesterday. And so I'll tell you again. And then... Wednesday, Thursday, by Friday, here's what I'm thinking. God, I read somewhere in the Bible that you never forget. So I know you remember what I prayed on Monday. So God, just, just keep answering that prayer, and we just kind of put it into perpetuity. God, just until I let you know otherwise, would you just keep answering the same thing? As a matter of fact, I don't even think I need to pray anymore because, God, you never forget. And then I told you last week, because I have a very high view of the sovereignty of God, I think God's going to just kind of work it out however he wants to. I just don't think God really needs me to inform him about things he needs to do. And so I'm like, God, just take care of it. And yet, when I read the Bible, I see how God invites me to unload my burden on him. You know, we, we've been telling you we're doing some special things. On Monday mornings at 6.30, we're gathering here to pray. So last Monday, we had a group of about 50 people that showed up to pray. It was wonderful. And, but it's Monday, and it's morning, and it's 6.30. So here we come stumbling in. We're trying to get some prayer movement going. We're looking for something, you know, to pray about. And, and we're doing the best we can. About 10 minutes into this prayer meeting, we begin to hear sobbing 
loud. And, and we looked over and against this wall all by herself was a, a sweet, wonderful Korean woman that had come to simply pray. And as she was praying, she began to sob. And we thought, man, she, she must really be distressed about something. And so, you know, you kind of like, Lord, help her, whatever she's praying about, you know, do that. And I thought about how Jesus prayed. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers with loud cries and with tears. That lady was simply praying like Jesus. And so we went over and kind of asked her, you know, is there something on your heart? Can we pray for you? And, and she shared with us that she had a friend who had a 17-year-old son that was recovering from brain surgery, and she was just simply interceding for him. And, and so she shared that with us, and we prayed, but Lord, help us to simply pray at a level and a depth where we don't feel like we're praying the same old thing about the same old thing about the same old thing. So we said, we think we need you to pray for us um, so that we can pray more like Jesus. And she did that. It was a wonderful week of prayer. It was interesting. I left that prayer meeting. So we finished around 7.30. And I went to my next prayer meeting, which actually is just my workout at the gym. And it's not like that that's a real spiritual thing. I'm just praying that God would let me live through the workout, you know, <laughs> praying that God would make the trainer go easy on me today. And before I could start working out, there's this guy. He doesn't go to our church. He's a 65-year-old guy. He usually does circles around us in the gym. Um, he's been working out with us for a couple of years. We've gotten to know him. He, he goes to an Episcopal church. But um, last Friday, he, he saw me actually praying with Marla because a burden was on her heart. So I just paused for a minute and I prayed for her. And, um, and he, he, he came and he's like, look, before we work out, we're all going to pray. I'm like, you don't even come to my church. You don't even know we're doing a simply, you should have heard the sermon. And like, you, God, you're doing that through him. You need the sermon. Okay, so, so, so we prayed there. On Wednesday night, I helped uh, Tyler with some of the ministry we were doing in the youth ministry. We finished up, and I went home, and, and Pastor Tyler had given my son Scott a new ESV student study Bible. And I'm like, oh, way to go. So Scott comes home. He's all proud of the Bible. He's showing it to me, but it's like 9.30 at night. It's like, okay, Scott, it's time for you to go to bed, and you got to get up in school. So, so he, he goes down to the basement where his bedroom is, and, and then um, about 10.30, I'm, I'm going to bed, but I look down at the basement, the light's still on. I'm like, what's he? he's up there? What's he doing? You know, it's like march down there, you know, ready to scold him. You should have been to bed an hour ago. And he's got his Bible open on his bed, and he's got his notebook, and he's marking his Bible all up. He's got like a whole page of stuff he's gotten out of that thing. So I said, stop it. We're not allowed to do that at 1030 at night around here. <laughs> Is that what I said? No. I, not, I, I praised him for digging into the word, but I said, that we've got a timing issue here. We, you know, I don't want you to be grumpy in the morning. So there's other times that we can do this. So anyway, just God is changing some things in our church. And I hope that this week you had some type of a change. Have you ever thought about using the Bible as a guide for your prayers? It makes sense, doesn't it? We'll hear the conclusion of Trent Griffith's message next week. And don't forget to use the prayer hack that Pastor Trent gave us last week. It's the acrostic PRAY, P-R-A-Y, Praise, Repent, Ask, and Yield. If you want to hear a refresher on what that's all about, you can listen to last week's program by visiting 
harvestgranger.org slash resonate. And to join us for a worship service, head over to harvestgranger.org and click where you see worship with us. You can find information about service times in our campus locations there as well. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. And be sure to check out our Facebook page by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. So if you're thinking, this praying the Bible thing sounds like a good idea, but how do I actually do it? Then be sure to tune in next week to Resonate. Pastor Trent will get into the nuts and bolts of how to pray God's Word back to Him. I hope you can join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. My prayer is that you would pray God's Word and it would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.